Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. This is going to be the last time I tell you to turn to Acts 20. I don't think it's me. I'm moving my cord and it's not doing anything, so I don't think it's me. Anyways, Acts chapter 20. This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Acts. Today, though, we're going to take a slightly different approach. We're going to use a few of the verses that we studied last week as sort of a foundation for a study I've titled The Blessedness of Giving. We're going to begin in Acts 20, verses 33 through 35, and then we're going to look at some other passages throughout our time. But let's read Acts 20, starting in verse 33. Luke recording for us Paul's message to the Ephesian elders. He says in verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you, Paul says, in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Building upon what we studied last week, clearly our labor, our work, isn't supposed to make us selfish people with what we've earned, but generous giving people because as jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive and so we considered last week this aspect of giving of of generosity in relation to others that we are to support those who are in need but i i want us to consider another aspect of giving of generosity in our study today, I warned you last week that today we'd be looking at this other aspect of giving, this time in relation to supporting the church and furthering the work of the Lord. And right off the bat, I want to apologize. Not an apology because I'm going to be teaching on giving or tithing, because I'll never apologize for teaching the things contained in God's word, but I actually want to apologize for how I've shied away from teaching about giving and tithing over the years, except for some very rare moments where it's just happened to come up in a book of the Bible that we've been studying. You know, I've always considered myself to be a pretty balanced person. I'm not given to extremes personally, or in my pastoring or preaching, but I've been imbalanced when it's come to this area of giving and tithing. And just to kind of give you an insight into why that is, 16 years ago when I first began pastoral ministry as a youth pastor in a denominational church in Southern California, the senior leadership who were over me in that church ran the church like a business. Those leaders saw the people not as sheep who Jesus called them to love and to serve, but as numbers to add to their total of attendance each Sunday and as sources of money to benefit their vision or their own personal needs. And I saw how those leaders handled the subject of giving, of tithing to manipulate and guilt people in the church to give. And all of it was terrible and damaging and I wanted no part of it. But while those experiences shaped me and stuck with me in a good way in all the years since, it's also caused me to swing to an extreme where I just never wanted to talk about tithing or giving at all. And that's not right either because tithing is biblical. It's a part of how we worship the Lord. It supports the work of the Lord. It furthers the kingdom of the Lord, and it's a way that God wants actually to bless us. And while I'm still just as committed to not running Jesus' church as a business, not seeing you all as numbers, and not guilting or manipulating any of you when it comes to money and tithing and giving, I, I again want to apologize for how I've not taught and equipped you like I should when it comes to, the, to giving, to tithing, to financial sorts of things and tell you 
that I plan to do better with that moving forward. Also in that same vein of planning to do better with talking about financial sorts of things, because honestly, it's like the worst part for me of pastoral ministry. It's like the worst part of like, you know, as a church, we're also a nonprofit organization in the eyes of the government. And so there's a business side to it. That part I hate. If there's something that I feel okay with saying I hate, it's that part. It's that money part. It's the business sort of element of it. I I really just loathe. (laughs) I know that sounds bad and I just don't. I'm thankful that there's people that are great at it, that handle the finance as well. We have checks and balances and accountability, all those sorts of things, but I don't like it. If I could never talk about it ever again, I would be a very happy person. But it's just part of all of it. But again, in that same board of vein of uh, planning to do better with talking about financial sorts of things, we're going to have a church meeting soon, not during a service, but after a service or sometime, uh, to talk about things revolving around sort of the financial state of Jesus' church here at Calvary Chapel Walnut Creek. And this is something that we're going to begin to do yearly. So we're all informed on where things are at. So we can all know how to support what God's doing here, what, what's needed to support new things and new steps of faith we believe the Lord wants us to take. And also so that we all know how to better be praying, just informed to even know how to pray. And so uh, that's kind of just kind of throwing that out there. But I do want to say, even as we begin to have this message on tithing, You know, God is not broke, and he doesn't need our money. You ever have someone portray God in that way? That God is broke, and that he is desperately in need of our money. Neither of those things is true. But while he doesn't need our money, know that he does want to use the money he's already first given to us for his purposes and kingdom and glory. And so, again, just kind of sharing my heart up front. And those of you that have been coming to the church for even the last year, some of you have been coming since early on, you already know this to be true of me. In the past almost eight years that we've been meeting as a church, I could probably count on one time, on one hand, the amount of times that I have taught about giving. Again, that's just kind of the imbalance of where I've been at. And so I don't know if you've caught this in the last couple of months. I'm just trying to be a little bit more transparent with where I've been and, and how God's growing me and stretching me. And uh, this is part of that. So don't tune out. We're going to dig in here this morning. Having said all that, I'm going to share seven insights about giving and tithing as we make our way through this study. And these are things drawn from what we're going to see throughout God's word in our time. So if you're a note taker, and I encourage you to be one, uh, there's going to be seven things we're going to put up on the screen this morning. They're going to build on each other, and, and they'll show up on the screen so you can kind of see previous ones. But the first insight about giving or tithing, drawn from what we see in verse 33, is that it, number one, helps guard us against covetousness and idolatry. I said, I I put covetousness slash idolatry because remember last week, I showed you that passage where Paul actually in another passage of scripture says, covetousness is idolatry. It is idolatry. And I don't know about you, but when you're holding tight to something, that thing is holding tight to you. You know, there is something about our money that has an aspect of control. And in that place of control or that desire for more or that desire, maybe it's not even more. You just don't want to lose what you have. You know, like inflation, you see everything going up. You're like, how do I preserve even, I can't make what I have grow, but how do I not Like, how do I keep what I have from being even less? How do I keep my retirement from going? How do I keep my 401k from 
from, from dwindling. And, and it, can all, it can become this thing in our minds where it starts to have a hold on us. And when you and I start to practice generosity, when we start to practice biblical giving even and tithing, it, it does something in, the, in the, the place of our hearts to dethrone how money might become an idol. Where when we give to the work of the Lord, we, we're at the same time telling ourselves and telling the Lord, Lord, this thing is not God in my life, you are. It, it helps to guard us from that, that thing where Jesus said, look, you, you can't serve two masters. No one can serve God and mammon. Why didn't he give us multiple things there? Why didn't he say, you can't serve God, mammon, and sex, and success, and, and a bunch of other things? No, he, he spoke into two major things that often will be the thing that you and I serve. We either serve him or we, we serve the pursuit of the things of this world, oftentimes attached to, to money. And so as we give to the work of the Lord, it helps guard us from becoming a servant to the master of money. It helps guard us from covetousness and idolatry. The second insight about giving and tithing drawn from what we see in verses 34 and 35 is that number two, it enables the local church to support those in need. Now, there have been times throughout the history of our church where we have presented needs. And there have been times where we've rallied and come together and, you know, we've given to certain things, relief efforts or whatever it might be. But there have been plenty of other times that you guys have never known about where as a church we have supported the needs of people within our body. Buying groceries or putting gas in somebody's car or, or paying for a bill that was going to be overdue. What are, there's been things, even people outside of our church body who, where there was a connection somehow with another a pastor and a pastor personally knew of a person's situation that we've partnered and helped to support. And I'm not saying this to go, look at how great we are. I'm just saying that your guys' faithful giving, God has used it to support the needs of those who are in need, even though you might not have even known about the need. And those things coming in help enable us as a church to respond to needs to where people are truly supported, where needs are being met. And that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that we as a church have those sorts of resources to be able to respond to things th so that we can fulfill our biblical mandate to uphold the weak, to support the weak, as Paul has talked about here. Now, Two weeks ago when we studied Acts 20 verses 32 or verse 32, we considered how the things that Paul listed in that verse were a result of God's word of grace, a result of his grace toward us and his grace at work in us. But there's another result of God's grace that's not explicitly stated in what Paul says in verse 32 or in his quote of Jesus in verse 35, and that's that there's a grace to give there's a grace to give and 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 even as i say that it can be easy for us to want to excuse ourselves in those those, those sorts of moments well you know what god just hasn't given me the grace to give he, i just don't have that grace you know sometimes i'll read some of the spiritual gifts and and some of them are like yeah no that's not really me but you know, one of the, those giftings, a spiritual gifting, is that there's a gift of giving, actually. And, and in that way, there's a supernatural sort of extraordinary generosity that God might stir in somebody to give. But we might read that and go, yeah, no, I just don't have that spiritual gifting. 
I've got a gift of receiving more than I have a gift of, of giving, maybe, for some of us, we would say. But we see this grace to give clearly in what Paul wrote to the believers in the church of, uh, of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Check out what Paul wrote there. He said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, notice what he says, see that you abound in this grace also. The, the third insight I want to consider this morning about giving or tithing is that number three, it comes out of a grace-impacted life. It goes back to what we talked about last week, about how our God is a God who gives. That when we talk about God's grace, we're talking about how God has freely given us things. So when we talk about giving as people, we're just modeling what God has already given us the example of and who he is to us and how he's freely given himself to us, how he's freely given us all things in Christ Jesus, how he's given us this heavenly inheritance, there's spiritual rewards, there's, there's Jesus in heaven for all eternity. Now, as we, as believers, grow in our understanding of how all that we have is because of God's grace, that God has given to us. That grace is to impact our life to where then we want to live graciously. We want to give because giving is an outflow of God's grace in our lives. When God's grace is at work in our lives, it will make us generous, giving people. This is seen in how the churches of Macedonia, which was where the church of Philippi was located, gave financially in order to help Paul so that he could fulfill the calling that God had placed upon his life in preaching the gospel and in discipling believers and in planting churches wherever he traveled. The, the church of Philippi did this because they had been radically impacted by God's grace. Paul says that they had first given themselves to the Lord. So they, they first saw that all that they had belonged to the Lord. And then out of that place, Paul says that they then gave themselves to Paul and his team by the will of God. And Paul lifted up the giving, the, the tithing, the generosity of the Macedonian believers as an example for the Corinthian believers to follow, encouraging them to abound, to overflow in the same grace of giving as the Macedonian believers had already done. This leads us to the fourth insight I want to share about giving and tithing, and that's that it requires faith and dependency upon the Lord. Giving and tithing, it requires faith and dependency upon the Lord. I want us to notice that the church of Philippi was not a wealthy church. That they didn't give out of a place of abundance financially, but that they were a church going through, Paul says, great trials. And that they were a church who was in deep poverty. Now that doesn't register for me. When I see great trials and deep poverty, the next sort of logical thing isn't, and then they just gave freely. In my mind, it's like, look, if, 
if there's a great trial and there's deep poverty, you kind of want to, like, let's bring it in a little bit. Let's kind of re, kind of assess where things are at. I, let's, let's work on our budget. Let's, like, let's figure some things out. Maybe we need to cut out some of our streaming services that we've, all of a sudden, like, we got rid of cable, but then, you know, we have just as much money into, like, having, you know, all the different networks that you still want to watch. And so you have them, but now there's all these other multiple financial commitments that you make. How do we kind of whittle it down? We're not going, how do I give more? What you might find is self-preservation. Great trials and deep poverty. Paul says there was an abundance of joy. And that they gave with liberality. You know what liberality means? Generously. That speaks to me that this was a church. These were believers who had great faith and great dependency upon the Lord. For them to give in that way required faith, trust in the Lord to meet them in their trials, to meet them in their deep poverty. It would have required dependency upon the Lord that he was going to show up in their circumstances and provide for them and sustain them as they took that step of faith to give to the Lord's work by supporting the Apostle Paul. But but I want us to look at another example in Scripture that highlights this fourth insight. So you don't have to hold your place in Acts 20, but turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Just two books back. Luke chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Luke 21, verse 1, it says, And he looked up, speaking of Jesus, and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Notice that Jesus didn't say, what are they doing? What is that poor widow doing? That is so Old Testament, live in the now, right? He didn't go like, guys, we don't do that anymore. Like, get away from the temple, get away from the coffer. You don't need to, like, stop it. It's not, you don't need to do it. Tithing isn't a thing anymore. Jesus doesn't say, I I don't care about that. No, he doesn't teach against what they were doing and bringing their tithes and offerings to the temple. He doesn't even speak against the offerings of the rich who were putting in their offerings out of their great abundance. No, he just focuses on the sacrificial giving of the poor widow that though she gave almost the smallest possible amount that could ever be given, those two mites, that she gave more than all because of the sacrifice it was for her. And really, this woman is a powerful example for us of faith and dependency. See, what we find in the New Testament when it comes to to giving and tithing is an emphasis on the heart of the giver. That's not about the amount that's given, but the heart of sacrifice in whatever amount is given. You know, there can be many reasons why someone doesn't give, that someone doesn't tithe. But but two reasons that usually rise to the top of the list are either, number one, someone not having much financially and feeling like they won't be able to pay their bills or, or live to their next paycheck if they do give. Or number two, someone having enough or even more than enough financially, but their money has become an idol that they live for and has control over their life. And so they're not willing to give. 
or to tithe. Let me tell you, no matter the reason, faith, trust is required on the part of the person giving. A a posture of heart that's surrendered to the Lord and, and trusting in the Lord, whether a person has abundance or is is living in poverty or anywhere in between. You know, as someone who for many years worked two jobs to provide for my family and still barely scraped by from paycheck to paycheck, just from my own personal life, just my own personal story here, you know, tithing was never easy. It never came out of a place of abundance. But the first thing that me and Angela would do once I got paid was tithe. And it was a sacrifice, but it was out of a heart of worship and a desire to walk in obedience to what he wanted us to do. We knew how God in Malachi chapter three told his people, look, bring all the tithes into the storehouse of the temple that there may be food in my house saying in that passage, try me, test me now on this. If I will not, Open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And so we would trust God as we gave, as we tithed, that he blesses those who trust him and worship him with our finances. And when we did that, man, we became millionaires overnight. Isn't that kind of what we expect when we read a passage like that? Lord, test me, try me. You're like, okay, cool. Lord, I'm going to give. I don't feel like I have anything really to give, but I'm going to give out of obedience because I love you, Lord. I want to worship you with, with what you've given me. And then our expectation is like, and then all of a sudden our, our account, like the balance is just, it's, it's gone from like $5 to last you for a week to like $5 million. It never worked out that way for us. It never was the situation. I don't want to, I want just reality check, right? That pouring out blessings from the windows of heaven didn't mean that all of a sudden we were rich. It didn't mean that we lived comfortably and didn't have to go without in material things. But I could tell you, So many stories of how the Lord met us and blessed us and provided for us miraculously even in that place of sacrifice and worship and obedience. Blessings we would have missed out on had we not tithed and got to see God show up in ways that it could only been his hand at work. I'll just give you one story. It was right around Thanksgiving time. And again, just this kind of ongoing, you know, commitment that we had made to, to make sure that we were giving the first part of what the Lord gave us. There was one time where we had, you know, tithed, we paid all of our bills, and, and we literally had like $20 to last us for a week, gas and groceries. And it was in the evening, Angela and I just sat down and we just prayed. We're like, Lord, you're going to have to provide. Like, I don't know how this is like going to work out. We're trusting you. And literally the very next evening, not even 24 hours later, our neighbor, next door neighbor, who is not a believer, came over to our house to let us know, hey, I'm going out of town. Like she was just kind of saying happy Thanksgiving to us. And we had this really solid like uh security door sort of thing and and so my wife had opened it to greet our neighbor and as she's saying hi our neighbor looks past my wife to our wall behind in the living room at our condo and she goes what's that and Mandel looks back and she had just painted this painting and put it up on the wall in our house and, and she goes, how much, how much can I buy that from you for? She goes, I'll give you $200 for it right now. And it was like, cool. <laughs> Takes it out of the wall, gives it to the neighbor. She gives us 200 bucks. It's like, uh, we could have just said, wow, what a coincidence. 
Or we could have gone, Lord, we were trusting you as we gave. We could have held on to that amount and thought, you know what? No, we need this. We need this to live. But we trusted him in that, in that act of obedience. Not anything great of us. We're not super saints. We're not anything special. And the very next night for him to show up using our unsaved neighbor to come and buy this painting that my wife probably spent like $3 between paint supplies and like the canvas to provide for us. For me, that's windows of heaven sorts of moments. We would have missed out on those things. We wouldn't have even been able to recognize that that was God's hand at work. Have we not been trusting him? Have we not been testing him in this area that he actually tells us, look, test me. See that I'm trustworthy. Because isn't that the problem oftentimes? Lord, I don't know if I can trust you in this area. We can trust him with a lot of things. But oftentimes our finances is the thing that we can have the hardest time trusting him with. And yet, God's track record's always been perfect. He's never failed, not even once. Jesus didn't say that it's more blessed to give when it doesn't cost you something or when it's easy. When it's easy financially to do. No, it doesn't matter if we have much or have little. God blesses his people when they give. Because again, as we looked at last week, it represents our God who is a giving God. Turn with me now to Philippians chapter 4. You don't have to hold your place in Luke. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at some things that Paul wrote to this church the church of Philippi, this church that Paul had lifted up in 2 Corinthians 8, this church of Macedonia, and see some things that Paul wrote to them when it came to this area of giving. We're going to read verses 14 through 16. For some reason, I just can't seem to turn my Bible pages this morning, so bear with me. Here we go. Philippians 4. Starting in verse 14, Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now, just a bit of context. After referencing their gift in verse verses 10 and 11 this is the a care package that they sent to paul and then going on to talk in verses 12 and 13 about the contentment he had learned and was able to do through christ strengthening him paul goes on in verse 14 to say nevertheless you have done well that you shared in my distress paul wanted to make sure they knew he appreciated their gift thank you <laughs> I would say the same thing to you who give here. Thank you. You've done well. I praise God for each of you. But he also wanted to make sure that they knew that their gift wasn't what he was relying on, but that he was relying on the Lord. Paul's contentment and strength didn't come from what he was given or what he had physically or financially. It came from Jesus himself. But then from what Paul goes on to share in verses 15 and 16, we see that from the time that he first came to Philippi, this is what we see in Acts chapter 16, and people there got saved and the church there began till the time that now Paul is imprisoned in Rome, the Philippians were a church who faithfully gave to support Paul so that he could do what God had called him to do, which was preach the gospel, plant churches, and encourage and edify believers all along the way. This leads us into our fifth insight about giving or tithing. And that's that giving and tithing supports the local church and furthers the work of the gospel. 
You know, it's the unseen things. It's like school rent. It's insurance costs. It's, you know, facilitating being able to give money to missionaries that we support as a church. It's different ways that we're able to support needs. It's it's outreaches that we're able to do like Easter coming up. It's all these different things, even making it possible for me to be able to not have to work another job on top of being the pastor here. All of those things in God using the tithing here, it supports what God's doing here and it furthers the work of the gospel. And this is something that we see obviously in our context from week to week, but it's even the things that we don't see. It's the ways that God's word is getting out even beyond our local church fellowship. I had recently shared with some of the guys who do the message editing and uploading here at the church each week, how somebody who used to fellowship with us and had moved to Hawaii had messaged and said, hey, please tell your crew like they're doing a great job. The audio quality sounds great. Her and her husband still listen to the messages here. But there are people from all over this country and even in other countries in this world who download messages. They're downloading the word of God being preached every single week. God's word is going beyond the not walls of our outdoor (laughs) church. He's going beyond that. His, His word's going out. And we don't know how God's using all of that, but, but what God's doing here through the resources that come in here is allowing that to actually happen. That is fruit to your guys' account. And that's amazing. That's such a, a, a sweet thing that we get to be a part of. But, but look at verse 17. Paul's going to give a powerful insight regarding giving. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. This leads us into our sixth insight about giving or tithing, and that's that it causes us to be more blessed, and in parentheses, fruit to our account. This is sort of building on what Jesus had said, Paul's quote of Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, listen, it's not about the gift. It wasn't about their financial giving. That's not what Paul was seeking. That's not what he was desiring. That wasn't his focus. No, Paul was seeking the fruit that abounded to their account by their giving which for me just further reinforces what Jesus said, that it's much more blessed to give than to receive. Paul didn't want them to give because he wanted to gain from their giving. No, he actually wanted them to give because he wanted them to be more blessed as they gave. That that spiritual and eternal fruit, rewards, would be put into their account as they helped enable Paul to minister to others. Listen, Paul viewed his ministry through a really amazing lens. I mean, think about it. The the church in Philippi, they're just ministering there in their context, right? But here's Paul, and he's out, and he's traveling, and he's preaching the gospel, and churches are being planted, and leaders are being raised up and then he'll move on and god will replicate that and replicate that and replicate it but as paul's ministering as as people are getting saved they're being brought into the kingdom of god and disciples are being discipled paul's able to look at those things and go guys you get to share in what god's doing through my life do we catch that Paul's the one who's out there. He's the one physically doing all these things. God's using him specifically. But Paul was able to look at how these believers were helping support him financially. They're helping enable him to be able to minister. And Paul goes, actually, the things that God's doing through my life, you guys get to partake in the blessings. 
You guys get to partake in that fruit. You guys get to partake in those spiritual, heavenly, eternal rewards as if you were with me ministering. I don't know about you, but that's awesome. It gives a different perspective even on our giving. You know, you might not be the person up here preaching from the pulpit, but you're helping enable me to do it. And that's fruit to your account. And that's, this is just part of what God's doing through this amazing thing that we call giving. Let's read verse 18, though. Paul says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know, first, remembering that Paul is in prison as he's writing this, these are amazing things to read. I have all and abound. I'm full. You know, he said before this, I'm content. Like, how do you be content when you're in prison, possibly about to be executed? How do you say, I'm full? I have everything I need. But Paul here shows us the spiritual reality of our giving by likening it to the sacrifices that happened at the temple. You know, if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, you probably come away from it going, that's the bloodiest book I've ever read in my life. I don't ever want to read about having to sacrifice an animal ever again, possibly. That might be you if you've read Leviticus. But really, the book of Leviticus is God's book of worship for the Israelites. And from our vantage point of viewing it now through the lens of the New Testament, we know that the temple sacrifices all pointed forward to Jesus. But for the people of God, the sacrifices were their gift brought before God in worship of God. And this leads us to our seventh and final insight about giving or tithing this morning. And that's that giving, tithing is a sacrifice. It's an act of worship that pleases the Lord. And if you missed any of the previous points, this is your opportunity to like look at the screen Maybe take a picture of it if, that, if you want to get all of them together. But listen, giving is a spiritual sacrifice. Paul says it's a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know, to God, the giving of our finances is just another aspect of our worship to him. And as we think about that, you know, everything we have is from God. If you have breath in your lungs, if you have the ability to work, that's a gift. God has enabled you to do the things that you do. He's enabled you to work. He's given you a mind to be able to do the things that you're able to do in your workplace. He's everything that we have is from him. It's all a result of his grace. We don't really deserve anything he's given us so when we give we're just giving back to him and his work a portion of what he's already given to us these believers were going through great trials dealing with deep poverty yet they were the primary source of paul's support in ministry and they gave willingly first giving themselves wholly to god and then giving of their resources to the work God was doing through the Apostle Paul and their spiritual sacrifice, their worship of giving was a blessing to the heart of God. Just like you can imagine being near the Temple Mount in Jerusalem when these sacrifices would be happening, it would have smelled like the greatest barbecue ever. I mean, even vegetarians like the smell of barbecue. They don't want to eat the meat. No one smells the smell of barbecue and they're like, oh, you're like, ooh, 
you start gravitating towards it like, ooh, I like that aroma. It's like those old like Looney Tunes uh, cartoons where like all of a sudden he's floating in the air, like smelling and the, the smell, the, 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 the fumes from the smell of the food is like coming into his nostrils as he's floating to the... Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jared. I'm not as old as you. It's pleasing. Just as that aroma is pleasing to our senses, our giving is sort of a pleasing aroma. It's a sacrifice of worship that God goes, I accept this. I receive this. I'm pleased with this. It it blesses our God. You know, we looked at that passage of 2 Corinthians 8 when we talked about sort of the, that there's a grace in our giving. But shortly after that, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul went on to say this to the Corinthian believers. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, if there was any confusion in the first verse of what Paul was, like, if they were to go, cool, so I just need to focus on, like, sowing my seed. Like, I just need to, I need to get a bag of seed, and I need to just go out and be generous with, so I'll get a harvest out of it. He's like, no, what I'm talking about is giving. I like what David Gutzik said about this verse, and my kids tell me that I quote him every week. I don't quote him every week, almost every week, I would say. Anyways, David Gutzik said this. He said, a a farmer sowing seed may feel he loses seed as it falls from his hand to the ground, and we may feel we are losing when we give. But just as the farmer gives the seed in anticipation of a future harvest, we should give with the same heart. I just thought that was such a great insight. Listen, guys, Paul's word to the Corinthian believers is also a word for us. We're not to give grudgingly. Like, oh, I guess so. If I have to. Or out of necessity, like, church needs it. Like, they're really struggling over here. Everything's going down the tubes. It's all going to crash and burn if I don't help them financially. No, but cheerfully. Not giving because we feel we have to, but because we want to. We see it as a joy to give to the work of God. God loves it. It pleases him when we worship him through our giving, our tithing. It's a pleasing aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice in his eyes. And he does know that it's a sacrifice for us on our part. Know that. He knows it's a sacrifice for us. He doesn't go, look, I know it's, it's too hard. Don't do it. Like, no, the things that are most worthwhile in this life always require sacrifice, don't they? The things that are most rewarding. But listen, in the context of giving, and I know I'm going a little long here, I, I kind of like justified myself. I was like, look, the last three weeks, the messages have been about 50 minutes. That's way better than I was doing before. So if I go an hour and 20, no, I'm just going to, I'm not going that long. We're almost done. In the context of giving, I said that to kind of like, if I say an hour and 20, if it's an hour, you guys will be more gracious to me. Anyways, in the context of giving, Paul goes on to give a really sweet promise in verse 19 of Philippians 4. He says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In the context of giving, notice that. This is in the context of, a, of people, a church, who are giving to the work of the Lord. Paul's writing to this church again. They're going through great trials. They have deep poverty. They have lots of needs. If you're in deep poverty and you're going through great trials, you have needs. You got lots of needs. Your needs abound. 
But these people with the heart of worship gave to support the work of the Lord, the, the furtherance of the gospel. And with those things in mind, Paul tells them that God would supply all their need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, as we worship the Lord through our giving, our resources, our finances, God supplies our needs, not all our wants. Our needs, according to his infinite riches, he sees and knows our needs and he has the resources and ability to supply us with exactly what we need. This should encourage us. This should help us to be able to rest in the providence, the the provision, the faithfulness of our God. Because he sees our needs. You know, sometimes we feel like God is blind to our needs. Or he doesn't have time for our needs. Like, God, I've got some needs here and I don't see you meeting them. We're not maybe seeing him meet them in the way that we want him to. And yet he's the one who's supplying our need. I want to share one last kind of reference here. It's a, it's a quote from a man named Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary in China in the 1800s. He actually spent 51 years in China. And he was the founder of the China Inland Mission, an organization that actually brought over like 800 missionaries into China back in the late 1800s early 1900s, he said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. Let me just read that one more time. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. You know, that's so true. It's a perspective we need to remember. Giving, tithing is a way for us to participate in the work that God is doing so that he's glorified in this world as his word and his gospel go out, as his kingdom is advanced, trusting that as we give, he's also going to supply our needs, both personally and corporately as a church. But turn with me to Acts 20 one last time. We're going to close here. We're going to read verse 35. Paul says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, guys, we've all received. We've all received. If we've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you and I, have received infinitely more than we could have ever imagined because of what Jesus has provided for us, what Jesus has done for us. You and I have been on the receiving end. We may not be on the receiving end materially or financially in this world. You and I may scrape by till the day that we die. But we have all of heaven to look forward to for all of eternity, with infinite riches, with Jesus for all eternity. You and I have received, and we're blessed because we've received. But we've got to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, just like Paul was saying to these Ephesian elders, that it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. We're to live by this. This is how to be more blessed. The believer who gives, who ties, sees giving as a means to serve and worship the Lord. Giving because God has richly in his grace given us what we have. Seeing that God wants to use our finances, our resources for his kingdom and glory. Giving because our contentment is found in Christ Jesus alone. And in that place, when that's us, we become the ones who are more blessed. I'm going to have the worship team come back up.
you know, maybe for some, this study today just kind of reinforced some things that God's already had you doing, or maybe some things God's already been encouraging you to do. And for that person, be encouraged in those things. Be confident in the Lord. But maybe for some others, the Lord's wanting to challenge you in an area where maybe you haven't been trusting him or maybe challenging you in your attitude about giving. And for that person, he's wanting to bring change and growth in this area of your walk with Christ. As I said earlier, I'm thankful for all those who faithfully and generously give to support the Lord's work here at Calvary Chapel Walnut Creek. What and, and what he's doing through our church to further his kingdom and, and glorify himself. And we praise God that he's our provider, that he's given us these different ways to worship him. But may we, may, I'm sorry, may he be blessed, may he be pleased by our giving, that all of it would truly be a sweet aroma to him. let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the one who has given us all that we have. Lord, that even in this act of giving, Lord, we're just giving back, Lord, a small portion of what you've already given to us. Lord, that we're reminded in these things of how you've given us yourself, Lord, how you've given to us freely all things that pertain to life and godliness. Lord, you've given us an eternal inheritance. Lord, you've given us salvation. Lord, you've given us forgiveness. Lord, you've put your righteousness into our account. Lord, you've promised us heaven. That, Lord, we would see our giving as an opportunity to worship Lord, that even these insights this morning, Lord, we would take these seven things to heart. Lord, to consider as we maybe pray through what giving would look like for our own lives. Or as we, God, even take into account what we're already doing maybe. Lord, would these things be a sweet aroma to you? Lord, we offer up, Lord, these things, our gifts, our giving, our tithing, Lord, we ask that you would receive those things today as an act of worship from us to you. Lord, that they'd be a a sweet-smelling aroma to you. Lord, a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, that you would take, Lord, the offerings of your people. Lord, that you would bless and that you would multiply those things, Lord, for your kingdom and your glory. And that, Lord, as those things happen that, Lord, you would also supply for the needs of your people individually and, Lord, also for our church corporately. Lord, Lord, that you would be our provider. Look, if there's anybody here today and you've not just first opened your heart to Jesus Christ, you've not made that decision for him, I'd love to give an opportunity this morning for, for you to put your faith in Jesus. The only thing that he wants you to give is your heart and surrender to him this morning. And in that place of you giving your heart, he wants to give you forgiveness and salvation. So if that's you this morning, would you just stand where you're at this morning? You're just going, look, I I need to make that decision for Jesus today. Lord, as we respond to your word, God, would we not hold back in our giving of our hearts, Lord, the giving of what your word says is a sacrifice of praise, Lord, the fruit of our lips, Lord, would we not hold back in our worship of you, Lord, no matter what that worship looks like. Lord Jesus, in these songs, Lord, that we would worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Lord, that we'd be reminded, Lord, of who you are and who you will always be, Lord, in our lives. God, that we would live radically for you, Lord. We would worship you, not holding back. Lord, as we...
partake even of communion during these songs personally, Lord, that we'd remember, Jesus, how you gave your body to be broken, your blood to be shed for forgiveness of our sins. We remember, Lord, how giving of a God we have. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We offer all these things up to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.